Hey, welcome! Thanks for tuning in! This is There's Something About Artbeats, a podcast where I discuss with experts and industry leaders about the many sides of the artbeats industry. I'm your host, Federico Biancullo. I am an artbeats artist, founder of The Big Picture, blogger and content creator in the field of architectural representation. I'm on a journey to learn more on all things about artbeats, art direction, business, technology, you name it. And I would like you to be a part of this journey as well. Through these conversations, my hope is to bring light to not so obvious topics connected to our industry and help you grow as a professional, as an artist, and why not, as a human being as well. So please join me. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode of There's Something About Artbeats. Hello folks and welcome again. This is episode 7 of There's Something About ArcVis and today we discuss education in ArcVis. ArcVis training doesn't necessarily follow the traditional academic path of university. We know that too well, many of us are self-taught or have been following scattered courses and tutorials. However, the offer we have today is really and totally unprecedented. The pandemic has brought so much online educational content for ArcVis artists, and the common idea of YouTube having a tutorial for everything revolving around our profession, well, today is truer than ever. But what does it really mean to receive an education in ArcVis? What's the past, what's the present, and the possible future for education in ArcVis? Today, to answer these questions, I'm joined by Fabio Daniano, that will help me shed light on this topic. Fabio is the director of the Master in Digital Architecture, MADI, at the University of Venice, UF. He is a long-time teacher with over 25 years of experience and, of course, an industry veteran. In this episode, we discuss why is it worth to pursue formal education in ArcVis and why we should go beyond the excessive technical focus in programs and tutorials. We also talk about the power of networking, the future of online learning, what makes a teacher great, and much, much more related to how our profession has evolved in time. So I think that's enough from me, and I'll leave you to our conversation. Please enjoy. So Fabio, how are you? How are you doing these days? I feel good, even if my family uh, went back to Italy a couple of weeks ago, so I'm, I'm alone in, in a quite big place mm-hmm. with my cat only and in a complete lockdown for all the others so I can't see anyone. All your activities are going on remotely? No, I try to go uh, to the lab at least three or four times a week because I, I got my robots there and, and I want to go there but normally all, all the people are working remotely. Most people in the industry know you for being the director of MADI, which is the Master in Digital Architecture at the University of Venice, UAB. How did you get started with the, with the MADI? Because is this something completely different from what you do today? You've been into 3D, of course. You've been one of the first people teaching about 3D Studio Max, if I recall correctly. Yeah, possibly, yes. If you want, I can start from the very uh, beginning of this weird, this strange journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, it was quite a, a jacked line, actually, because I, I started as a kid playing with music and computers. Uh, maybe I wasn't performing so well. I was a piano player and a, and a saxophone player, just a kid. And I, and I wanted to, to be good as my masters. 
and uh, but I, I couldn't perform that that good so I tried to use some shortcuts and uh, I started using computers uh, so I was editing a lot removing errors uh, playing faster than I, I could in real life and that was long time ago it was late 80s so first computers first electronic instruments and then I left that behind when I moved to Venice and I enrolled to the University of Architecture and there it happened more or less the same because I couldn't really draw as my friends I, I wasn't able to draw fantastic perspectives like they did and I was struggling and I took more or less the same path I started using computers that before I used with music to help me uh, improving with, with my results with my outputs it was a little bit like cheating you know uh, so uh, instead of working hard on piano or on, on drawing at that time I decided to try an alternative route and I, I don't know if it was a, a good choice or something that I would recommend to others I would say maybe <laughs> today work hard and try and try and try to be a good somebody, piano player. Somebody will define this like working smart today. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, I, I, I tried to find my own way. And it's just what I did. And as a matter of fact, in 1991, I was already using 3ds Max. And I have spent there so many hours, thousands of hours. And at the end, it wasn't a shortcut. I spent more time on machines that I, I possibly could have spent directly in practicing piano or practicing standard drawing. But it was fun. And, and because I, I really spent a lot of time on, on computers at that time. And I was young and reactive and I learned fast. I traveled a lot as a freelance and I went in many firms internationally and I was the one who received more money, uh, more than all the other architects. And, and I wasn't an architect yet. I was just kind of kid. And because I was a student, I was 92, 93, a uh, long time ago. Um, but then I became an architect and I missed being an architect. So I was so using, you know, I, I made, I did so many renderings, uh, so many fake images and again that was cheating and i wanted to to use some real bricks and and i wanted to, to be an architect and so i went to morocco and i opened a company there uh, with a partner and that was really low tech low computers low renderings and it was fun uh, and then unfortunately my father-in-law died he was a great architect in italy and i had to run back and I had to, to lead his former studio. And, and I was, again, quite young. And all the other people in the firm were young. And everything was, was really challenging and, and fascinating at the same time. And I had to take the place of such a high example because my father-in-law, uh, his name was Giorgio Lombardi, was really uh, an architect with a great reputation. It was really good. So it was hard for me to, you know, to, to walk in his uh, shade uh, 
So again, I tried to, to find an alternative path and, and uh, the studio was really a great place and we had uh, tons of possibilities and we invested uh, in 3D printing and in and, and, and images and renderings. It, it really went well, but then uh, that was more or less more than 10 years ago. And then the crisis came and the deal was not funny anymore for me. I spent more time with lawyers, with managers, with any kind of professionals, but not with creative people. And I didn't enjoy my, my job anymore. So at that moment, I started writing the um, manual about 3DS Max, who's, who have sold nearly 10, no, more, more than 10,000 copies, which is huge. And uh, soon after, I started directing the master course at UOV, and mm -hmm. that was exactly 10 years ago. So this is the 10th edition of the, of the manual. Yeah, yeah now, now it's the 10th edition. All right. But then you will define yourself as a self-thought entrepreneur. If I have to, to, to clearly define my masters, I couldn't find a name. So possibly I would say, yes, I'm, I'm self-taught or uh, I'm, I'm kind of widely uh, taught from, from many uh, experiences. Uh, but in, in some way, yes, I am self-taught. Also because, you know, uh, 25 years ago, you didn't have even a manual. You didn't have the help on the screen. Uh, internet was not there, so no, no alternatives. So now MADI is basically one of the alternatives, one of these high-profile institutions to learn 3D, to learn visualization. So many artists in our field, they're actually self-taught. Probably the biggest names that you can think of in the industry right now, they have no formal education in this since it didn't even exist at the time. And as you were starting to dabble in 3D Studio Max, these people were just getting started with their careers in Aquis. Think about Mir, think about Luxigon, these people, they more or less come from the same background of the primordial broth of 3D, you know. Um, so why do you think today it is worth to pursue this formal training and education in art? I don't think that there's a rule there. Uh, you have, uh, exactly like you mentioned, great artists that are completely self-taught. And also you have really bad professionals coming from the best universities. Uh, so possibly there's no rule. My opinion on that is that uh, if you have a great talent, well, the academia could also be an obstacle, could be a bad thing, could be a disaster sometime, and, and sometimes you just don't need it. Education is more dealing with, with the techniques, with, with the skills, than with the talents. So you will always have someone, you know, that just is... 13 years old and is the best of the world mm -hmm. uh, without any education. But I think that for the 99% of the people talented in an average way, not extremely talented, having an education, it's, it's time saving and it, it's a good occasion. We were mentioning something really interesting when we got in touch for the recording, creating a, a cultural environment for talents more than providing technical education. And I was really interested into that kind of topic because right now, Archivist education is very technical oriented. There's very little examples of schools and training programs that kind of help going into this cultural environment that allows you to grow as an artist. And 
As I understood, MADI is more like a cultural environment rather than a school. It's both things. Uh, we do focus on transferring knowledge of great professionals. So it's about techniques and skills, but it's not all about techniques. So it's really different when the person who is teaching you is, for instance, as you mentioned before, uh, Mike Golden, who teaches at uh, our master course. So if he's transferring his own experience, well, you, you get a lot of tricks, you get a lot of contents, but it's not all about contents. I, I'm personally not interested in purely contents. I'm, I'm more interested in, in human relationship, in, in stories, in interactions, in, in knowledge transfer, because I think that there is absolutely no growth uh, if you rely uh, entirely on contents, just because contents are boring. Uh, we, we have a kind of um, overestimation of contents. It likes contents is king. You can go on YouTube and you can find thousands of hours of fantastic, you know, uh, piano players, saxophone players. You, you can learn anything. The real thing is you just don't learn because there's no uh, real interaction. There's no human transfer. I, I don't think you can rely purely on contents. I understand. It's, um, it's a good way to put it. And I will also say, well, especially in this historic moment, uh, we have a content overload. Everybody is trying to hop on board the content train, trying to deliver content for their business, their activity, their careers, without having also a clear goal of this content. But anyway, this is a bit off topic. But that's for sure that the pandemic has actually brought up a lot of this content, a lot of uh, these new online archivist classes and courses. They are very different from a traditional school because interaction is not there, it's not present. And this is a very important thing. So I can already kind of figure out your answer on this question somehow. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So will the online classes be there to stay after the end of this whole mess? Or is it just a temporary situation? No, the answer in this case is yes. Okay. I think they will stay. I think it's not temporary. Also because they started before, mm -hmm. they will just stay forever. If you think about, as we said, the incredible number of, of YouTube videos, you, ev everyone is self-promoting himself. So uh, these kind of digital contents will duplicate each five minutes. Mm -hmm. So they w it's impossible to get rid of, of digital contents. The, the, my point is just that I'm not so interested in it. Uh, and I would be possibly less interested if I were a student. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the, the funny thing is being with other people. And now that there's the pandemic, I think that you understand more than before how important it is to, to go out, to chat, to have a drink with someone. It's more than half of the story, while YouTube is just half. So it's just contents. I think the best explanation for these are industry conferences, industry events. Because industry events, yes, you go there for the talks, you go there for listening to experts, but it's not just that. Personally, when I go to conferences, the speakers are relatively interesting to me. Let's say it's 30% of the experience. That's my personal percentage, but 70% is the people that I go there. 
you know, the human touch with the industry, with the people that are among our circle. So it's kind of, you know, the same thing. When you go there, it's content until a certain extent. So it's maybe more the people that deliver the content, the people that listen to the content and the, the whole environment. Yes, I, I don't know if you are aware, but we, we started the Immersive Architecture Conference a few years ago. I'm, I'm one of the organizers and, and the founder. And the idea was exactly there, uh, exactly that one. Uh, we shrinked the contents, the minimum possible. I, I'm, I personally, when I go to conferences, if um, a talk is more than 15 minutes, I, I get immediately bored and I would like to chat with people. I would like to have a drink, to have a glass. I can personally exchange business card with more than 100 people in one day. And I think that that's the good thing about events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And contents is just the background. It's just the excuse. Yeah, it's the excuse to gather, yeah. Yeah, to gather. Mm-hmm. Of it's, course, for the speaker, it's also a matter of exposure of uh, having a name in the industry. So there's something else on the other side as well. But for who's listening, it's more the network. It's more the people that you meet at, uh, at the events. And probably what you're trying to do with, with the Madi has a lot to do with that kind of environment. Another thing is that Education in Arcvis is very technical oriented in general. You were talking about this as well. Of course, technical background is is necessary, is very relevant to what we do. But if we were to improve the academia of Arcvis, what elements and features could we enrich the traditional curriculum with? It's a it's a challenging question uh, because as well, I I, I don't think that uh, technical skills are at the core. And at the end of the day, we are architects. We work with images, with with emotions, with spaces, with architectures. And and so I would say that we need to put more of this in our technical education. But as a matter of fact, at the academia, it's exactly the opposite. You don't have any kind of skills. Uh, Tools are considered just like tools mm-hmm. and it's like it's like you know that's the brain and the arms are not really uh, useful and important but i think it's a problem that will stay uh, forever so uh, possibly academia will include more archivists when archivists will be more or less dead so when something new will pop out when something new will appear when archivists will be academia <laughs> It will be included in the curriculum. Okay, this is a concern for traditional academia in general. But what about ArcVis schools? The technical thing about ArcVis schools, I think, is still there. Many schools and many online classes still rely a lot on the technical. What about the artistic values? I don't hear so many people, so many schools and curriculum that actually try to focus on that aspect. And when that aspect is present, it's very underweighted compared to the technical part. You are absolutely right. We have the chance, for instance, to target architects that already have five years experience. Mm. So normally we take for granted that they know about composition, that they know uh, about images. They have a cultural background which is not to be underestimated because sometimes if you just train people with other backgrounds, you understand that they are just lacking knowledge about images or this kind of sensibility. So we can um, 
do more technical stuff because we can underlie on other skills that the students already have. Mm. Nevertheless, we focus early more and more on how important is the composition, how important is lighting. So uh, if you compare our last editions with, with the f- early ones, I would say that we are less technical now than we were before. Not just for you, but also if I think about other schools, other programs, this is something that has developed in time. Initially, the general consensus of the industry of education in the industry was just going towards the technical thing. And recently, I would say in the last five years, the discourse has shifted more towards the artistic value of an image. But I also think it's due to the simplification of the tools. You are absolutely right. That's my point. When I started, it was so hard, so hard just to have a nice looking material that mm. you, you spent hours there. And then you, you were happy because you, you, you had a, a ball in the middle of a, of a room with the proper lighting. That was enough. But now the technical requirements are really low. You just can start compositing images with a few clicks. After two or three hours, you know, you're already able to use um, your tools. If you use, for instance, Corona, which is great because it's easy. You don't need to tweak with values anymore. You just click and that's it. So the difference is not anymore on the values is on what you have to say. So that's why we are all migrating towards this new aspect, which is more related to storytelling, to to the feeling, to the emotion, to these kind of things, because technical side is easy. Yes, you raised a very interesting point here. And I think ease of use is going to be even more encompassing in a way. I'm having a lot of conversations these days with 3D artists working in-house for architecture firms. And what I see is that they are migrating towards even easier tools such as Enscape, Twinmotion, Lumion, which allow you to get a reasonable quality in a very short amount of time. We should look at what happened to photography, for instance. A long time ago, it was hard to get the perfect picture, while right now an iPhone can really do the trick. And if you add filters, if you add effects of any kind, you you can look professional. As a reaction, I think that the professionals, they don't want to look professional. (laughs) Sometimes you see great names in, in photography that it's like if they wanted to lower the bar, the quality of the picture, just because they don't want anymore to focus on that specific technical skill. It happened with paintings. If you imagine this, there's a certain moment in in 19th century, at the end of 19th century, when they were so good with techniques and they started focusing on something that was different than the shape. Didn't need to be exactly like in nature. And colors didn't need to respect exactly what lighting was. I think we, we will go that way, possibly on the artistic side, but on the market side, we will always produce the image that sells more and in the cheapest way. Yeah. But when you were mentioning also techniques, when you were doing the comparison with the history of art, of painting in this case, the architectural collage immediately came up in my mind. We're seeing the same reaction right now in architecture. Right now, collage is being made very popular in architecture schools. 
and many people say that this is a reaction to the glossy renders, although I'm not entirely convinced about that. So what could you tell me about these kind of reactions? Are we bound to see a similar trend in ArcVis in a few years from now, going towards a simplification of the image, the stylization of the techniques we use? It's quite a complex answer because I think also that we overestimate the importance of ArcVis within the architectural practice. Uh, I personally use 3D modeling and rendering also as an architectural tool. Mm -hmm. So the idea of simulating what you will build, it's an incredible tool and you don't want to use it just for a client, you want to use it for your own. And so possibly in, in that aspect, having a perfect simulation of materials and of lighting and everything, it's really useful and will never die. As an expressive mean, just because it's becoming so easy, uh, if you're an artist, you, you don't want to be average. You just don't want to uh, do what everyone is doing. Mm. So I think that collage will rise. Uh, any kind of strange images could <laughs> start popping out. And I think it's a good thing. But photorealism will be always useful and important. You will never get rid of uh, photorealistic images. Uh, uh, when I started, already it was a matter, shall we do non-photorealistic rendering? And, and the answer was always, yes, we, we should do more. We should do more. But at the end, it's 30 years and still not. That's funny. I saw some reaction to that as well, even in um, competition panels. In Germany, for example, panels are requesting non-photorealistic images for competitions because they're afraid that the glossy image could steer the outcome of competition, which I don't, honestly, I don't agree with because you can clearly see if a project is bad and has nothing to do with the image. On the contrary, if, if the project is not good, the image won't be good as well. It's within architecture, this hybrid sensation. Are you an artist? Are you an engineer? What are you? What kind of beast are you? And who knows? <laughs> it's, you know, uh, sometimes you say, I, I would like to do something that is exactly like I intended and I want to show to a panel exactly like it will be. And sometimes you instead don't want to focus on the aspect. You want to focus on the sensation of on the emotion because uh, it's true that the uh, sight is 99% of our perception but at the end of the day when you get into a space you don't only perceive it with, with sight and so rendering could be a bad way to conceive architecture because you are only focusing on one sense mm -hmm. which is sight you forget about proportions because you see everything on a screen you forget about how the materials they sound how there's a, a consequence of different spaces which is architecture mm -hmm. and so when you focus on images you you just see uh, a part of the picture uh, frankly i i don't have an answer because as architects we should manage both worlds so a panel should be aware that he has plans he has images he has a description 
and I, I wouldn't be absolutely worried about the you know the quality yeah quality in the sense of the the technique yeah it's, it's i'm not scared about a beautiful car i'm not afraid to be seduced by a beautiful car so i, I would never say please don't show me beautiful cars well in my opinion this kind of requests kind of imply that the audience is a bit stupid and doesn't understand the value of good architecture and it's just fooled by the image somehow exactly exactly uh they are afraid to be fooled by images but it's true, my experience within architecture is exactly this, unfortunately, is that we as archivists, artists, more than architects, we are an instrument of the evil because we are selling good images that hide bad contents, bad things for our cities. And we are always saying, yes, we will make it look perfect we will make it look good you will sell it and we are not that aware that that tower which is 111 floors is just incredibly bad for that site mm -hmm. it's destroying that site but because they pay us we will picture it as a fantastic tower with all the green down, with people walking and smiling, walking dogs. You know, this is really bad. That's another very interesting topic. I think I heard it covered at the Academy Days this year. One of the directors of Submarina, which is a Ukrainian archivist office, raised this issue of us putting out glossy images without actually having respect for the real context around the building, the real impact of the building on the context. He was raising this kind of issue, which is very interesting to discuss and to bring to the surface and come up with some conclusion in our industry. Of course, we are an instrument. Our images are made to sell a project, to market the project. So it's something that it's really difficult to get unstuck. I can tell you a story. When I was young and I was working for an important firm and I went there and we, we won all the competitions just because the others, they didn't have these weapons the panels were really impressed by our images and we won everything and uh, at a certain point i was uh, working on an image and they told me could you please make these towers more transparent and i said no they won't be they are already too transparent they will never be transparent but yes but we we want to see the park and I said, okay, but if you want to see the park, you have to remove the tower. It will never be transparent. At the end, they paid me. I did those transparent towers. And I also made a, a negative image of these transparent towers. The image was really beautiful and we won the competition. But for a long time, I stopped making images. I, I didn't want to do it anymore. Because I, I was fake and it was cheating. I didn't want to do it. It's something that probably many people in the industry can relate to. But seeing that this story is the same old story repeating and it's being multiplied as we speak. Because this is what happens daily in artist films and architecture firms. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a... I wouldn't say it's not a good sign, but it makes you think somehow. But it is not the topic of today's conversation, but still, nonetheless, it's very interesting to discuss about these topics as well. But going back to the main topic now, we're talking about education in general. And in your opinion, what are the features of good education when it comes to ArcBiz? I can tell you something about my 
personal experience as a trainer, as a teacher. And first of all, I really love what I do and what I've been doing the last 25 years. So I, I try to transmit this joy along with, with the frustrations that you, you have just because of, of the thing that we said before or because something goes wrong or the beauty of some technicalities or some secrets that you have learned and that made you just sweat or you didn't sleep at night just to find that specific thing. And, uh, and I think that as a teacher, if you have this rich experience, you can transmit more these aspects, more than push that button or write these things or do like this. So you, you have just to spread this pleasure that you had, this joy, hoping that this will be contagious, that they will say, okay, I, I like it. I would like to do it too. Because when you are teaching in some way, you are a reference yeah. and you need to be a target. You need to be someone that the others, they want to reach and even, you know, do better than you. I, I had... Before I told you that I didn't have masters, but uh, for instance, in music, I had it. I, I, I had a teacher at, one, at a certain point. He was a complete genius. It was for me a completely unreachable target. Uh, unreachable. I will never go that far. But uh, having such a high reference was important for me. Mm-hmm. I was curious to know more. I wanted to see how he did. And these are the kind of things that you can do when you teach more than focusing on the contents. So if we were to sum it up in a word, it would be the drive of the teacher, not just knowledge, but the way he drives the knowledge, the way he's passionate about that. Yeah, if you want, uh, in Latin, insegnare means exactly just to put, just open windows if you want. You, you don't necessarily need to transmit a formula or even worse, a result, which is something that is bad in a lot of archivist schools. They explain a method, they even give you the tools to reach that level, they give you assets. They tell you, you do this, this and this and you achieve this. And I think this is absolutely boring and it will get old after six months because techniques is going faster. The only thing you can teach is to train, is, is to look that, it's interesting, go your own way, find your own way, and try to be good as I, as I am. If you were just to follow all technical news, all technical discoveries in our field, we'll need like a update class every <laughs> eight months, <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's kind of unrealistic if you manage programs, you know, this kind of school. So a method still helps, but it's not the method. It's like the mindset more than the method that a good school should teach you. The being in the mindset of continuously being up to date, continuously have a drive, a passion for what you do. So it's not just about the outcome, it's about the process. Yeah, and also about the pleasure. I'm trying to train my cat and it looks like Cats, they only obey to pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to teach 
them something. You have to associate a good remembering, a good memory, a good sensation. And I think it's the same with the master calls. I think that our students are having great time. They drink a lot of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, in Venice, you have great food. I've been there for a month or so and the Cicchetti, I mean, I was amazed. I want to go <laughs> back there as soon as possible. Honestly, yeah, loved it. Cool. Students, yeah, that's another great topic. A nice topic also to close this conversation. Madi is at the 10th edition, you said. Yeah. You've seen a lot of students in your days come and go. And many of these students, Italian students. By the way, is Madi now 100% Italian students or you also have international students? It's a tricky situation because uh, we do have international students, but the master course is half in Italian and the bureaucracy is 100% in Italian. Mm. So we had people coming from a lot of places and they had to learn Italian. Uh, so <laughs> that was weird. Uh, we are aiming to start a new international, full international edition, which wouldn't be a problem for us. It's more on the bureaucratic side, which causes a problem with visa and with other things but at the moment it's Italian with some international students All right and a lot of students are spread across Europe and not just Europe but probably students from Madi work now in the greatest companies in the globe for Arcvis and not just Arcvis I guess also other branches but in general all of these great students that you saw during the years which are the traits that impress you the most that when you see these traits in the students, you think, okay, this person is going to go far. I had more than 300, I guess, more than 300 students, uh, maybe 400 students. And I can remember almost all the names. If I see them, I can chat with them and remember their names. So 400 students are 400 individual tales. And some of them also now work at Madi. They're also teachers at Madi. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is, yeah, 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 it's true. There are different categories of students. And so I'm impressed by different uh, things. For instance, we have good experience of underdogs, of students that weren't recognized by the university system so they didn't have good results mainly for instance because they can't express themselves in a good way in Italian mm -hmm. uh, so they lack property of language a way to express themselves in history but even in design theory and and so their marks weren't that good the university and the problem is that normally as a requirement, you want high marks at the master course. And the final mark of the degree is normally considered as a good sign. If you had good results at the university, you will have good results at the master course, uh, which is absolutely not the case in our experience, because sometimes people that are lacking this property of language sometimes are developing an extreme sensibility and expression with other uh, means, for instance, with visual things. So sometimes you have people coming from the mountain, they can't really express themselves in Italian properly, but when it's time to build an image, they are just fantastic. And we had a few of them, and all the times you have people with technical skills, they are incredible. Uh, people that are just smart, and you can see them, how, how they react with coding. 
and really really different type of students and because our master course is so wide in terms of topics we cover from image composition to 3d modeling to electronic prototyping coding 3d printing everything you can see that there are people succeeding with talents in specific areas while others are overall good of course we also have bad students and sometimes <laughs> our bad students are the ones that had the best grades at the university. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, they can't express freely. Yeah, it's something that happens a lot in high school. I know a lot of high school mates that didn't have good grades, but now they have brilliant careers in other fields that were not encompassed by traditional high school. People that work now in design fields, in chemistry, that were just at the margin of high school, and now they're succeeding in... Uh, pharmaceutics design yeah these fields that i mentioned and it's uh that probably it's the same with traditional academia and archivists people that come from a traditional architecture school they just have a glimpse of what real archivists could be and then when they go to a full-blown program they just bloom yeah exactly and it's really fascinating to see these kind of things when you are not so young anymore when you are in some way uh, you are already discouraged because you are i don't know 28 years old and it looks like you did everything you could. You picked architecture as your own topic and then you are not so sure that is what you would like to do all your life. You you think that you're not so good in designing, but you are getting old. Uh, I mean, not old, but you see that there's nothing uh, that you can do to have a kind of second chance. Mm -hmm. You were talking about your peers at college, at high school, that was, you know, in a moment where you see still a lot of potential in life. And when you have your own degree and you think that is possibly not the right choice, you can be depressed about it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really happy that uh, the master course sometimes is a novelty, something that really uh, get back the smiles to people because they can have good results even if they didn't have good results before. I think your story here is also an example. You've been doing so many different things. You reinvented yourself as well. So it's kind of, I would say never too late. It's something that I also tell myself because <laughs> it's useful for me to keep telling this myself that it's never too late to try something new. And although Maddie doesn't come so late in the stage of someone's education, it's still a new chance for people that maybe come from architecture and want to try out this branch of architecture. And Arfis is also even more interesting in this regard because it's something that you do because you're really interested into that and not just because you picked a wrong career path. Yes, yeah, I mean, contemporary life teaches you that it's not that it's never too late, but it's just that you have to reinvent yourself often. I think it's five, six years you have to just update your expectations, your skills, your attitude, everything. So I've been doing it all my life and I think I, I will keep on doing it. My actual situation is not my final destination. Mm -hmm. I will change soon, <laughs> hopefully. Even if I'm happy with the life that I'm living, but I know that I will not be happy uh, for more than five years in a row with the same kind of life so right that's been also fascinating fabio it's been enlightening really especially for me in this situation but anyway thanks for your time and uh, hope to see you soon in person somewhere in the world 
possibly in Venice. Hopefully, thank you Federico for inviting me and thank you also for the impressive job that you are doing in spreading our experiences in, in this market. I think it's really useful for the people that are starting, for the people that are working in it to listen to all the stories to other people. I think it's really a great job that you are doing. I think it's time consuming, but thank you. It's a pleasure for me to speak with people like you. So thanks again and talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new episode every second week. If you like this episode, help us growing and improving the show by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Got a question or is there something you would like me to cover in a future episode? Write me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.